Our culture right now tells us that racial justice warriors and their social justice compatriots are the best, the most righteous, the most beautiful people in the world, and whatever they do is worth it and just and right. Take a look. Yeah, this looks like, uh, well, violence and carnage to uh, most normal people. But for the mainstream media and for the woke left, this is, well, fixing systemic racism. This is beautiful stuff. None of these people were arrested. This was part of that amazing movement that even Barack Obama said had to happen. This is beautiful, but do you want to see something horrific and horrible? Here it is. One rock through one car, and we have a horrible racist incident on our hands. Now, this just happened in Florida yesterday. Hey, folks, we've all seen a lot of viral videos, right? We've seen some awful things. Sometimes we see funny things. Uh, you tell me, what is it we're looking at that is so disturbing? Viral video, somewhere before it, a window was broken. Take a look. This is making international headlines right now. Right here, buddy. Right here. Tell me what you were doing. Burning out, racing through my neighborhood. Burning out, racing through my neighborhood. You not to. Get out my face. I'm not in your face. Get out of my neighborhood. Gun. Who got the gun? The guy who's got a permit to carry it. You're the one that would get a gun. All right. Get out of this neighborhood. Get out of this neighborhood. You don't belong here. But y'all want to smash the window? Smash the window? Yeah, he did. All right. How does that stack against viral videos that we've all seen? I didn't see any violence. I did not hear the N-word or racism that I could detect. Uh, I didn't see much of anything. As far as videos, things that people watch all day long, this is quite lame, tame. Although at this point, it's racked up several million views because the villains are those affluent seeming gentlemen who are white. And the person who took the video is this individual. His name is uh, Jermaine. And let's take a look at how the media is already portraying him. He is officially the victim. Now, the victim of what? It's unclear. His car was damaged, but there's a lot more to this story, although they're not telling the whole story. Two men in that video who are angry, they're both arrested. All right. They were uh, boy, they really mean business in Florida, the jumpsuits and everything. All right, let's see what happened. Show me the raw tape first. Get out of my face. I'm not in your Get face. Out face. Get out of my neighborhood. This is the cell phone video he captured after he was confronted and surrounded by white neighbors while he was trying to park at his friend's house. He said one of the men, now identified as Howard Hughes, struck his car with a cone and said Donald Corsi threw a large rock through the window. And he explained the story to me, and I'm like, you mean to tell me that grown men did this to you? Sorry, that's the news footage, okay? Grown men did this to you. Now, you can't throw a rock through somebody's window, right? I mean, you can if you're protesting for social justice. That's a totally different story. But a white man may have done it, and he may have had a white friend who threw something else, a rubber cone. What happened next? 
His mother called it scary. They believe this was a hate crime. Even though Jermaine's passenger was white, some of the language directed at him by neighbors made him feel discriminated against. Get out of this neighborhood. Get out of this neighborhood. Neighborhood. Get out of this neighborhood. Okay, again, I've heard worse. Um, What's that all about? Where is this coming from? Will the reporter ever tell us why these people are upset? What happens next? The two men were arrested for charges related to the rock in the cone. We stopped at Donald Corsi's business to try to get his side of the story, but no one answered. Records indicate Hughes is a supervisor for a business that runs McDonald's franchises in Orlando. No one returned our calls from there either. No respect. Because the neighborhood where little kids play. And you come running out here like you think you're a race car driver. But he didn't think adults in that neighborhood handled it the right way. I don't think what they did was right. Um, I don't think they had the right to throw a rock through my car and damage it and also assault my friend with the coon. All right. So they're glossing over it, but it looks like speeding was involved. We'll get to that in a moment. But did you see showing up at the guy's business? I mean, the media, they're in full on cancellation mode with this story. Next. And Jermaine told us he doesn't know if he really even feels safe going into this neighborhood anymore. He said he had nightmares that very first night after that happened. And then last night he said he had trouble sleeping. Those are not very significant um, consequences, are they? I had trouble sleeping last night. So what? Um, This reporter, though, is playing all the right uh, notes when it comes to the virtue signaling. They feel like if this driver was a white guy like me, for example, even if I was speeding through that neighborhood, it never would have escalated to a situation like this. Did you hear what he said? A white guy like me. Ooh, I hear this all the time from white guys. It's very pejorative, by the way. I don't like it. White guy. What do I know? I'm just a white guy. Oh, if I were a white guy, it's a status virtue signal. Not good when anybody does it. So what about the speeding? He said he would not have had a hard time if he were speeding through the neighborhood. This didn't make the peace. The kid was speeding in the neighborhood, big time. Take a look. Yeah, that would definitely perturb homeowners, don't you think? Especially those with little kids in the neighborhood. And that's just what we saw. What else happened? And oh, by the way, talk about reckless. A passenger was hanging out of the car at the same time. This is a danger to themselves and to the community. Clearly, people were upset. And you're allowed to be upset in America. Yes, you are. You are allowed to be angry at people, even if they don't look like you. By the way, speaking of the victim, Um, I'm just wondering, quite frankly, if maybe his vision was somehow obscured and he hit the gas by mistake. I mean, we need a full and complete investigation. Uh, That's possible. Now, the guys were arrested again. Just I mean, just look at them. I mean, they they, these are these are these are evil looking guys. Right. They must have done something. I mean, look at them. Right. You get what's going on here. They're villainized right off the top, right off the top, just by their appearance. I mean, to be angry and white in America and a man, watch out, watch out. That's not a good thing. And everybody's got a camera. 
I don't like the discussion that's happening regarding race in America. It's a silly conversation to avoid having an important, substantial, consequential one. It continues all the time. Who remembers these very important, well, important cases culturally, at least? Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown, and Jacob Blake. Um, They're doing a retrospective on MSNBC this weekend. They're focusing on the fathers of these men. Take a look. We see that yeah. that picture of that young man. Um, all he was armed with was a, a bag of Skittles and an Arizona iced tea, shot and killed by a neighborhood watchman. And then you have a year and a half later, uh, Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, a scuffle with the police officer. Mm-hmm. The officer says he feared for his life, shot him down the street. He laid baking in the sun for four hours, and we know what happened after that. Uh, Jacob Blake in, in um, 2018 um, was, you know, being detained, shot four times in the back by a police officer. Yeah. He is paralyzed. He's still with us. All right. Now, this is definitely the Reader's Digest, woke Reader's Digest version of what went down. Very, very abbreviated. Trayvon Martin, his, well, George Zimmerman was found not guilty. Anybody who knows anything about that case knows that he was defending himself, fighting for his life. That's a cute picture of Trayvon, but it was old and it does not depict the person he was that night. Not by a long shot. Michael Brown. Nobody ever seems to point this out that the Obama Justice Department said that the just the shooting was justified or they look at this video just moments before he was killed where he seems to be essentially robbing a convenience store. And Jacob Blake grabbing that knife and turning to threaten the officers. This is all left out in that little summary that we had on MSNBC. But this is about them but it's also about the fathers of these gentlemen. They find the fathers. And, uh, well, quite frankly, in my opinion, from what I know, at least two of them were deadbeat dads. Yeah, they were. But now they're glorified. Uh, Tracy Martin was there. He did a lot of time in jail and was not there for Trayvon Martin at critical points in his life. They're going to gloss over that, though. They're just not going to go there. Uh, Mr. Brown, the father of Michael Brown, also similarly uh, troubled and absent, according to the mother of Michael Brown, absent for vast portions of this young man's life. Now, this is the father of Jacob Blake. He has something to say, and he says it in a pretty racist way. When that 18-year-old walked into that grocery store in Buffalo, New York, that white boy walked in there and killed those people. It never was a question of how his parents raised him. That was never a question. Well, actually, it was a question, but how they raised him was the question. How they raised him. But they raised them. They raised them. All right? That man suspected in the Buffalo shooting horrible, was raised by his parents. We know that. And still, we had a total horrible catastrophe. The parents did raise him. How, we don't know. But they were there. Man just framed it so poorly, inaccurately, and with a little bit of uh, hate, calling him a white boy. You can call him, I guess, whatever you want at this point. What am I getting at here? We could have a conversation like Barack Obama wanted to have 
about fathers in the black community. Too many fathers going AWOL. Too many fathers in the black community going MIA. I look forward to this um, Father's Day special on MSNBC, and I wonder if they will explore that angle. Will they? I shall be tuning in. Rob Carson, host of the Rob Carson Show podcast. Tired of boring traditional news updates? How about one with a conservative point of view and it's actually funny? You can subscribe for free on the Apple Podcast app and it downloads directly to your smartphone so you can listen while driving, uh, to work, riding a bike, at the gym, or even while lobster fishing off the East Coast. Subscribe today with the Apple Podcast app or go to NewsmaxTV.com slash podcasts for other platforms. Something's coming. All I can say is that the fake news just doesn't get it, do they? And more proof. How can, the, how can anyone say that what you're about to see is good and righteous and beautiful? The night before, this is during the Black Lives Matter riots. Uh, this is the scene outside of St. John's Church in Washington, D.C., Right. This was awful, awful stuff. But this somehow was good, social, racial justice. And this, this was bad. This was horrible. The president of the United States standing in front of a church with the Bible in a peaceful scene is bad. Again, what's good? The rioting, the fires, all that stuff, the violence, the chaos. But a president in front of a church with the book of God is evil. And it really is. I'm not making, do you remember their reaction to this? It looked like he was using the church as a step and repeat, like he was on a red carpet and holding the Bible like he was holding a designer purse. The president of the United States looking like a wannabe dictator Right. Uh, so he could walk over to, over to a church and right. pretend to be concerned about the church. They see a president adrift, a president striding across Lafayette Park, Lafayette Square, uh, to have this photo opportunity holding a Bible in the air. Donald Trump started a riot in the president's park in Lafayette Park so he could have a photo op and awkwardly, weirdly, bizarrely hold a Bible like nobody has ever held a Bible before. Getting those people out of there, that wasn't a photo op. That was necessary. I guess they want riots to rage, to not be quelled. And I'm sorry, that is the book of God. He's in front of a church and he's holding it. Why are they so horrified by that? But it wasn't only the media. It was members of Donald Trump's own team who at least say they're horrified like this guy mark esper i know he's hard to place because he was not good as secretary of defense and he was only there for a little while but he's trying to sell a book he already got his advance and he's getting the the full washington dc swamp treatment it starts with an appearance last night on 60 minutes a west point graduate and paratrooper Esper spent 10 years as a by-the-book Army officer. And when he left active duty, he moved through the revolving doors of think tank jobs, Capitol Hill and Pentagon staff positions, and defense lobbying. 
Wow. Okay. Think tank, Capitol Hill, lobbyists, staff positions, swamp. Swamp guy. The very definition of swamp. <laughs> all of the right, all of the, all of the box checked. More. Tension would grow, as he told us when we met him at his alma mater, West Point. Because it's important to our country, it's important to the Republic, the American people, that they understand what was going on in this very consequential period. The last year of the Trump administration, and to tell the story about things we prevented, really bad things, dangerous things, that could have taken the country in a, in a dark direction. The dangerous things that Trump wanted to do. That's what he's saying. We'll get to those in a moment. But I don't like that he's doing this at West Point. That's a federal facility. A federal facility is helping them sell a book. Donald Trump was good to West Point, but they've turned on him. Oh, yes, they have. The Biden administration, the entire federal government, they're doing everything they can to stop Trump, including facilitating this ugly book by one of their own. Shame on West Point. It's a great institution. I love it. They shouldn't touch Esper with a 10-foot pole. Next. You have folks in the White House who are proposing to take military action against Venezuela, uh, to, to, to strike Iran. At one point, somebody proposed we blockade Cuba. These ideas would happen, uh, it seemed, every, every few weeks. Something like this would come up, and we'd have to swat them down. Swat them down, swat them down. Military action against Iran has happened before, and it may have to happen again, especially with the nuclear agreement that is not in place. That's okay. Elected leaders are allowed to think these things, but swamp bureaucrats like this guy, they think they're in charge. Really is amazing. He's confessing, a swamp member confessing. We're in charge, not the elected leaders. Mark Esper and chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, ran the Army for over a year before finding themselves in charge at the Pentagon. In order to deal with what he calls some of the crazy ideas coming from the White House, Esper and Milley came up with a system. I come up with this idea. Actually, Mark Milley and I discuss it, what we call the four no's. The four things we had to prevent from happening between then and the election. And one was... No strategic retreats, no unnecessary wars, no politicization of the military, and no misuse of the military. And so as we went through the next five to six months, that became the metric by which we would measure things. It would be incredibly hard, and it's amazing that Donald Trump succeeded as he did with people like this around, following their own agenda. Now, unnecessary wars. Donald Trump, our elected leader, or this guy who you'd never heard of. You know, Iraq, in my opinion, was an unnecessary war. Would he have stood up and said, we can't allow this unnecessary war to happen? I don't think so. I think it was his distaste for President Trump that led him to be so, so much of an obstacle. There's more. Esper says to fact-check his book, he sent all or parts of his manuscript to more than two dozen current and former four-star officers, senior civilians from the Pentagon, and cabinet members. So he's not the only one who wrote this book. Did you hear that? Senior defense officials, generals, cabinet members. This is a swamp hit job. The entire swamp colluding 
coming together with, by the way, allegations that if you read them closely, if you really listen, they're not that much. I mean, they rattle this guy's cage, but I think he's a little um, easily excited somehow. The president is ranting at, at the room. Uh, he's using a lot of, you know, uh, foul language. You know, you, you, you all are effing losers, right? And then he says it to the vice president, Mike Pence. He, he's using the same language and he's looking at Pence. He called Mike Pence an effing loser? He didn't, he didn't call him directly, but he was looking at him when he was saying it. And it really caught my attention. Okay, he says he was in the army and he's frazzled when he hears the F word. I spent nine years in the Marine Corps. I live in New York. It's a word that, unfortunately, you hear a lot. Quite frankly, we've heard Trump use some words in rallies. And this guy is so troubled by it. Oh, my goodness gracious. He's just too precious to be the Secretary of Defense. You know what I mean? The president greets us and I say, uh, where are we going? And he, he just ignores it and starts walking out the door and crossing uh, across the, the lawn, heading out the gate. And as we round that corner, the press is all over, and uh, all over the place filming, uh, taking pictures. And it, it just dawned on me at that point in time that we've been duped. Duped how? Uh, you know, this, is a this is now a political stunt, right? And, and we, we, I, allowed myself to be put in that position. And it only gets worse, right? How does it get worse? Well, we end up in Lafayette Park, uh, up near the church, and that's where the president steps out of the crowd, if you will, goes up, picks up the Bible, and holds it up for everybody to see. And uh, I eventually get directed to come up and join him. Um, and uh, I made that mistake to, to kind of be there in the first place and to join him. Wow. So um, now look, if you're watching this at home, if you're watching it on 60 Minutes, you're like, what's the problem? You're the defense secretary. You're with the president. There was a riot the night before. It was appropriately cleared out. You're apologizing. You're explaining this. Who is he actually explaining it to? Not the American people, not potential book readers, actually. It's to the defense firms. It's to the think tanks. It's to Capitol Hill. It's to the lobbyists. It's to the swamp where he must live and breathe. That's where his survival is, right? That's where his life is, his livelihood, finally. Esper says he sent out a message to employees of the Department of Defense reminding them they must remain apolitical and protect freedom of speech. Then he decided that wasn't enough. The republic felt wobbly, and that's what prompted me to decide to, to go before the podium at the Pentagon on June 3rd and say what I said. The option to use active duty forces in a law enforcement role should only be used as a matter of last resort and only in the most urgent and dire of situations. We are not in one of those situations now. I do not support invoking the Insurrection Act. Right after that, Esper was summoned to the White House. He says he was sure Donald Trump would fire him. Why did you think he would fire you? Because I publicly rebuked him. Yeah, publicly rebuked him. Mutinous. Absolutely mutinous in the swampiest way. Oh, yeah, all the regulations, all the... Now, think about it. The Insurrection Act, I think that might have been kind of useful in 2020. Take a look. Let's compare, right? BLM, the intensity of BLM. They were trying to destroy the country. Media were trying to say it was all beautiful. Let's take a look at that police station one more time. Burned to the ground in Minneapolis. This was beautiful. No Insurrection Act. No Insurrection Act. But 
This was an insurrection. This is the insurrection, right? It's totally backwards. It's totally crazy. You know it. I know it. Trump knows it. But I got a message for Donald Trump. You got to do better picking these guys next time. And I think there's going to be a next time. You can't rely on rhinos for advice. You can't. And you should probably start interviewing people now. You know, last time he ran, he didn't want to jinx it. He didn't want to get ahead of himself. And I respect that. But now's the time. He's probably going to win. So I think he's going to win. Start talking to the people you want in your cabinet now. All right. I want to say this about an old friend, Mayor Ed Koch. He was the mayor of this city from 1978 to 1990. I got to know him in the mid 80s and I knew him all the way up to the time he died. He was a great guy. What a character. How am I doing? And he was an effective mayor, uh, three terms. So, look, Ed Koch was, uh, well, a bachelor. He never married. And some people assumed uh, certain things about, you know, was he this, was he that, whatever. It was his business. He said he was heterosexual, and we left it at that. The New York Times over the weekend, in my opinion, shockingly and wildly and appropriately outed him as a gay person. The secrets Ed Koch carried. On and on it went about something he wanted to be kept private. Let's put it up there. Uh, I don't think this is right. It was an aching admission shared with only a few. He strained to conceal an essential fact of his biography. Mr. Koch was gay. Front page of the New York Times, by the way. Front page of his beloved New York Times. For the gay friends in whom Mr. Koch confided, some had nudged Mr. Koch for years to come out, suggesting he might be happier for it, that the city might be better for it. Their failure disheartens them to this day. They try to spin it. They try to justify this gossip piece. It was just gossip. Anyway, it was his business and he preferred it remain private. He has family, he has relatives alive. And by the way, I, I did know him and I did like him. And, um, he, he actually had a great big steak dinner for all the doctors who helped save his life. He had a coronary situation some time ago. And about a year or so went by. They said no steak for a year and a half. And when he could finally have steak, he invited all the doctors and uh, me and a couple of others to uh, Peter Luger's, one of the great steakhouses in all of New York. Anyway, Ed Koch, I'm sorry that happened to you. He was a great mayor. Let's take a look at him one more time. Um, And uh, anyway, there'll never be another one like him. We'll be right back. go and need news now. No paywalls, no cable subscriptions. Just download the Newsmax app from your smartphone store. It's free. And watch Newsmax TV anytime, anywhere. Who's the opposite? Do you want your house back? Take it! The January 6th hearings are a total and complete disaster. They aren't convincing Anybody, they are breaking so many rules, so many rules of fairness. And today, the star witness, uh, I think he did a lot of damage for their side. This is former Judge Ludig. He came to offer his opinion. Very, very bizarre. More on that in a moment. They tried to focus on Mike Pence and what he did and what he was advised to do. I remember on January 4th what he said he would do. 
just before January 6th. He had a role in this, right? He's going to count the electoral votes. But, well, listen. You know, I know we all, we all got our doubts about the last election. And I want to assure you, I share the concerns of millions of Americans about voting irregularities. And I promise you, come this Wednesday, we'll have our day in Congress. We'll hear the objections. We'll hear the evidence. We'll hear the objections. We'll hear the evidence. Okay. Real question was, what are you going to do after that? A lot of us thought he had the ability to send those votes to uh, back to the state capitals, not to overturn the elections, but just to make sure that they're straightened out. Uh, and the objections started, and they were starting well. They started successfully. I, Paul Gosar from Arizona. For what Sport. purpose does the gentleman from Arizona rise? I rise up for myself and 60 of my colleagues to object to the uh, counting of the electoral ballots from Arizona. Uh, is the objection in writing and signed by a senator? Yes, it is. It is. Totally constitutional, totally legal, under the Electoral Count Act of 1887, you can do that. Now, things, though, on January 6th got crazy. They started letting people into the Capitol. You saw it. I saw it. Some of the cops just stood by. Now, why did that happen? A lot of folks said that they were trying to stop the count. No, no, they were let in to stop the objections. That's what I firmly believe. They were let in. This was somehow facilitated to stop the objections, which were successfully underway. Who knows exactly what Mike uh, Pence was thinking? Was he spooked by all of this? He may have been. And yeah, some of it was brutal. Some of it was really regrettable. I wish it hadn't happened. And those people are paying a big price. But let's put things in perspective here. All right. These are ordinary people yelling something ugly that they shouldn't have yelled, but they did yell it. All right, hang Mike Pence. Now, I don't think they really meant that. That gallows is about a mile away from the Capitol or so, a half mile. You can't hang him from that. They were speaking metaphorically. Still, it was very, very ugly. Not quite as ugly as this, though, because it comes from a United States senator, a sitting United States senator, Chuck Schumer, openly threatened a United States Supreme Court justice. I want to tell you, Kavanaugh, you have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. You won't know what hit you. (laughs) They can pretend that those people posed a threat to Mike Pence. They did not. Mike Pence was never at risk. They can also pretend that what Paul Gosar and Ted Cruz tried to do was extra constitutional. It wasn't. Jamie Raskin one of the worst of the worst, tried to do the same thing, but he failed. Uh, I have an objection because 10 of the 29 electoral votes cast by Florida were cast by electors not lawfully certified. Is the objection in writing and signed not only by the member of the House of Representatives, but also by a senator? It is in writing, Mr. President. Is it signed by a senator? Not as of yet, Mr. President. In that case, the objection cannot be entertained. 
Okay. Uh, he did not have his. That was in 2017. They were trying to stop Trump. Do you think he could have gotten a senator to join him? You think they would have loved it if Biden had thrown those electoral votes out? Absolutely. Absolutely. So the January 6th hearing today, they had Judge Ludig. We mentioned him a little bit earlier. He uh, is a retired judge. So that makes him a person with an opinion, a person with an opinion. He was acting like he was the chief justice and also acting a little weird. He was tough to follow at times. I believe is, is what happened within the White House and elsewhere as all the, the players led by uh, Mr. Eastman got wrapped around the axle. by the historical evidence claim. All right. I don't know what's going on here. And then he's asked a direct question about what Mike Pence could do and could not do. Very simple question. It was designed for all of us, us non-lawyers. Look at what happens. Judge Ludig, at the risk of oversimplifying for the non-lawyers who are watching, is it fair to say that the 12th Amendment basically says two things happen. The vice president opens the the certificates and the electoral votes are counted. Is it that straightforward? I would not want that to be my testimony before the Congress of the United States. The language of the 12th Amendment is that simple. What's going on here? He doesn't want it to be his language, but he makes it his language. This is what you need Jim Jordan for, okay? A Republican to straighten all of this stuff out. Multiple people can have different opinions about the Electoral Count Act of 1887 and the 12th Amendment, okay? It happens all the time, but at the January 6th committee, no, they only have one idea about what this means. And they only ask people who agree with him, people like Mike Pence's uh, lawyer, some guy named Jacobs. All right, uh, that's fine. Um, Who cares? (laughs) We need we have a Supreme Court. We who cares what this guy thinks? And some uh, aide to Mike Pence named Mark Short had something to say. Again, these are just people with opinions. I believe that um, that Mark did agree. What makes you say that? I believe that's what he told me. But as I mentioned, I think Mark had told so many people so many different things that it was not something that uh, that I would necessarily accept as, okay, well, that means that's resolved. I see. Tell me more what, what he told you on this topic. Well, I think it was that, you know, the vice president doesn't have any broader role. And I think he was understanding that. So despite the fact that he may have said other things to the president or others, to you, he said he understands the vice president has no role. Yes. Okay. Did he say that to you several times? All right. His recollection of something, it doesn't matter. It does not matter. It really doesn't. The Electoral Count Act of 1887 and Donald Trump and, 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 and Mike Pence disagreeing about something, that's okay. There's historical precedence for this, all right? 
FDR got into it with his vice president, some guy named Garner. It was so bad that Garner chose to run against FDR. I mean, this is not the most unusual thing. People can disagree. And yes, I've read the Electoral Count Act. It is complicated. And I've seen five to four decisions at the Supreme Court, seven to two, six to three. This committee, it's doing everybody a disservice. It really is trying to pretend that there's only one way to look at this stuff. Hey, oh, by the way, you know who was there behind uh, the star witness? Tell me if this guy's familiar. That's Gunnell, uh, Officer Gunnell, one of the Capitol Hill cops. I don't get it. These guys sitting in the front row, he should be working, but... There he is sitting and it just he's on our time, by the way. That's taxpayer money. News breaks every minute, every day. You need the app, the Newsmax app. Find it free on your smartphone store. Then watch us anytime, anywhere. Russell is a conservative warrior who will give no quarter to the socialist left. So I want to ask everybody in this incredible state, I love this state, to get out and vote for Russell Fry on June 14th, which is my birthday. (laughs) And Russell Fry did it on Donald Trump's birthday. Russell Fry is now the nominee for the United States Congress uh, in that very important district in South Carolina. Congratulations, Mr. Fry. How are you? I'm doing great, Greg. Thank you for having me tonight. Hey, by the way, the word is uh, (laughs) nothing's a done deal, but you're going to have no problem in November against the Democrat. I don't think so. This is a this is an incredibly uh, Trump heavy district. It was it's ruby red. Uh, so we're but we're going to rock on. We're not going to leave any stone unturned. There are so many Republicans, independents, and even Democrats who are tired of what is going on all in right. our nation's capital. Right let's let's talk about the guy you beat, uh, Mr. Rice. He was uh, all pro impeachment on Trump for January sixth. I saw him on the fake news a couple of weeks ago. I couldn't believe it. He was spouting off all of the talking points and all of the misinformation really about January 6th and about what the president was accused of doing. It was he was a victim of fake news in a way. I think so, too. I mean, you know, he, he kind of bought into the Liz Cheney narrative. I mean, Liz Cheney endorsed him. I think she did a fundraiser for him. You know, he did every which way and people were tired of him and they really saw through it. And, and when he said that Liz Cheney should be Speaker of the House, you know, everyone was perplexed and going, is he trying to lose at this point? Because it just didn't make any sense. I think the one elected official who might be less popular than Tom Rice in South Carolina is Liz Cheney herself. And so uh, to, to kind of do that just doesn't make any sense. This is an America first uh, movement that we see. And this is an America first district. You know, I think it's very seductive for some of these people. You know, the more you alienate your constituents, the more the fake news, the elites, the swamp will embrace you. And maybe he fell prey to that. But anyway, he's uh, he's history now. When you get to Congress, America first, we know that. Anything special, anything unique to you that you want to make happen for us? Listen, I think border security, we have to get there. Right? There's a lot of issues. You, you talk to the voters and they're talking the economy and inflation, border security. And I've done a lot of a lot of work in the state level on opioids and we got to get the border right. It's an immigration issue. It's a fentanyl issue. It's human trafficking. I think we have to get that right. And at the end of the day, you know, if we're a country without borders, we cease to be a country. I think we have that, that's got to be one of the, the pillars of what a new conservative majority would focus on. And I think uh, I'd love to be a part of that. 
Uh, by the way, the president, President Trump, that is, put out a truth social post, and uh, he's thrilled for you. Let's go ahead and put that on the screen if we have it, please. The biggest news of the evening so far is that Russell Fry beat impeach master Tom Rice with a vote of more than 51 percent, winning outright with no need for a runoff. Congratulations to Russell on running a great campaign. Uh, we echo those words. Uh, congratulations. We look forward to seeing you in Congress and uh, to be continued, okay? Thank you, sir. Appreciate you being on here. You bet. You bet. Many thanks. And we'll be right back. As you can hear the chants from the crowd, let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. Huh? What a it's not over that phenomenon. You're looking at the New England for Trump store. One of them, this is in Easton, Massachusetts. Hey, by the way, they also call it informally the Let's Go Brandon store. But somebody tried to destroy it with a car, almost a suicide mission. Take a look at this surveillance video from the inside. Wow. Uh, fortunately, nobody was hurt. This was deliberate. The guy who did it had all kinds of anti-Trump bumper stickers. The 46-year-old driver was arrested. We'd like to bring in Keith Lambert. He is the owner of New England for Trump stores. Uh, Keith, welcome back to Newsmax. We had you on when you opened this store. Hey, was anybody hurt? No, thank God. That was my biggest concern was making sure that everybody was safe and, uh, you know, God willing, everybody was safe. There was no injuries. Unfortunately, the store was pretty much destroyed. As you can see behind me, this is where it was all boarded up. This is the, the way that they came right into the store. Happened right right there. All right. So the driver, his name is Sean Flaherty. He is facing charges, reckless operation, malicious destruction. And he had that anti-Trump sticker uh, on his Volkswagen Jetta. I think we'll take a look at it. Let me just ask you this as we do. Did this guy, was he known to you? Was he coming into the store hassling you guys at all? No, and not that not that I know of. I'm no one mentioned that he was. Um, he did say he had some voices in his head that told him that he needed to do it, which I, I don't understand that. But um, yeah, definitely could have been disastrous. And uh, thankfully, no one was hurt. Uh, there were some people shopping right just about where I'm sitting right now, which is right where he drove into. And there was uh, the clerk was about to go to the bathroom, so had he come a little earlier, a little later, he could have definitely killed someone. Absolutely. Wow. Well, we are very fortunate. Um, this guy, bad, bad news. How much, uh, how much damage have you estimated? Yeah, I'm, I'm still trying to work it out. And, uh, it's, it's like 40 bags worth of, I mean, every t-shirt, every hat, you know, had shards of glass in it. Keith Lambert, check out, um, neforTrump.com. And I'm sorry, it's the brandonstore.org? Let's go brandonstore.org. Let's go brandonstore.org. And this has been going on since 2019. Good stuff, sir. To be continued, and we'll be right back. Thanks, Greg. Thank you so much. Okay, 
We're in this together. I mean that. 